I confess, the first time I farted in front of my boyfriend, I was kind of shy, but he reminded me that after fucking his ass with a dildo, eating me out, and asking if he could call me mommy, what's a fart? (laughs) Well said. This podcast is intended for those 18 and over. If that's not you, please check out scarletine.com and come back to this podcast when you are of age. Thank you for listening to the Bedpost Confessions podcast. Bedpost Confessions is an Austin, Texas-based live storytelling series featuring smart, sexy stories. Between performers, we ask audience members to anonymously submit anything worthy of a confession, which is then read aloud by one of our producers. The performance you're about to hear was recorded on October 17th, 2013. Levi Greenacres will share his piece, a mixtape made in anger. Here is Levi. I left my radio show in Seattle to start tattooing at the least reputable shop in Olympia, Washington. To pay for my apprenticeship, I worked a full-time job in addition to my full paid unpaid hours at the tattoo shop. Uh, I lived in a notoriously run-down apartment building where the radiator that provided heat never shut all the way off, and the hot water in the bathroom sink never shut off either, which made for a perpetual case of swamp balls. The building was painted black and used to be the governor's house, and then it was a brothel that catered to state government workers. The guy who owned it and several other rental properties around town also painted black was a dentist. He dressed like an undertaker, drove a hearse, and painted his buildings black to keep property values down to provide affordable housing to Olympia's poor. It was rumored that he was building a throne made of molars he pulled from his clients. He was known locally as the Dark Prince of White Teeth. Because I had little time for socializing and a huge hole in my life where fun used to live, I took to creating obsessively fashioned mix CDs. These became my letters to friends who would send me musical compilations in return. I used my friends as a sort of musical liver, uh, who with their very taste filtered the world of modern music that I understood very little of, and shared, it with, shared the best of it with me. Uh, in this way, I discovered bands like The Magnetic Fields, Nina Hagen, The Mountain Goats. I fine-tuned my particular style of arranging tracks, built computer templates to make the CD album art and liner notes, and cultivated a serious love of lamination. I liked that I could still make a radio show for an audience of one, Lou Reed talked once about how his ideal audience was someone listening to his recordings of the Velvet Underground alone in the dark. That's how I wanted to craft my mixes, building on years of on-air programming, weaving themes of lyrics and musical styles together to make something that, with careful listening, built something meaningful and interesting also. Uh, Because I was broke, it became advantageous to put together something that looked nice, as well as it sounded good for holidays and anniversary gifts that didn't seem like a total bogus present. When I was able to make tattooing my only job, I set about taking some time to finally get to know people in my new town. When I met a person that seemed interesting, I made them a mix. For those that could hang with my musical taste, the odds of us being friends went up. Uh, And this introvert's greeting card became part of my getting to feel people out for how they would handle the idea of me being polyamorous as well. In a two-part musical installment plan, volume one of the musical collection would contain my holy trinity of musical favorites. They might be giants, Ween, and Stereolab. The rest would be tailored to what I figured the recipient would actually like based on conversations and social media state of preferences and hopeful guessing. Volume 2 would include some naughtier stuff that let people know some other things about me. 
The band uh, The Wet Spots, for example, who cite that it is important to know after the base level of compatibility is established in a relationship if the potential mate takes it in the ass. <laughs> Shel Silverstein's title track from the album Freakin' at the Freaker's Ball, Bongwater's The Power of Pussy, and an all-teen girl chorus version of the Divinals I Touch Myself follow. <laughs> it's a really good song. If the person was still game, I would talk about being poly. Uh, which doing in a small town where trucks flying rebel flags could be spotted, Nazis held public rallies on the Capitol steps, and drive-by insult shouting were pretty normal. wasn't usually as easy in a larger, more tolerant city like Portland, where I live now. Coming out poly was usually met with gentle condescension. Oh, that's great for you, but uh, I could never do something that freaky. Or confusion. You want to marry a bunch of wives? Or outright hostility. You just want to have a bunch of sanctioned infidelity. <laughs> so I was careful who I shared it with. Even my careful mixtape screening process failed from time to time. Once I gave a disc to someone who had the most wonderful scars on her face and uncombed-looking feral child hair that I had no idea was a super conservative Christian. She wore a cross under her shirt that she brandished at me like Jonathan Harker in drag when she tracked me down at work. <laughs> Gave me a good shouting at for including the acapella cover version of Frank Zappa's The Meek Shall Inherit Nothing, <laughs> as performed by the Persuasions. You're making fun of Christianity, she said, and I'm a Christian. And don't you have a girlfriend? She was sufficiently unamused when I quoted Galatians 5.14 at her, uh, and to make buying coffee from her pretty awkward for a while. Shortly after the Christian barista incident, I was hit on by a client at work. I accepted her offer to go out for a drink, and this was unusual for a variety of reasons. Uh, reason number one, I almost never get hit on at work. Uh, number two, I don't usually consider dating someone who is significantly younger than myself. She was 22, and I was 29 at the time. Three, she was physically everything that I never fall for. Barbecue, blonde, normally proportioned. Uh, but she had a certain naughty look in her eye when I gave her her tattoo, which was full of little dots. And at each dot, her smirk turned a little dirtier and more knowing. And at the end, she made the most intriguing sounds that were right on the line of, I'm having a terrible time, and I'm having an exceptionally good time. <laughs> I joked with her that if she kept making sounds like that, that we'd have to get engaged, and I snore really loud. When the tattoo was done, the bandage applied, aftercare instructions given in writing, she told me that I should come have a drink and gave me her number. My coworkers eyed me with suspicion. Me, the guy that didn't try to bang his clients, presumably on account of having a girlfriend at home, who avoided discussing monogamy or kink at work, just got digits from a cute young gal from the shop. My special lady friend was excited about it and encouraged me to go out with her. She told me about the crush she'd had on her first tattoo artist, who'd brought her home to meet his wife for dinner and a three-way. My client and I met for coffee, and I had volume one of the musical library ready for her. It was called Kentacle from the Cornfield, after the color of her hair and charming lack of cynicism. I put 23 tracks on it, one for each of her years and one to grow on. 23 is also my lucky number. These included Mel Torme's version of Games People Play, Daddy Rolling Stone, the Derek Martin solo version, not the Who's later cover, and Beck's Hollywood Freaks. I told her to give it a listen, and if she still wanted to have that drink, uh, see if she still wanted to have that drink. She called me later that night to secure plans to get a beer. 
So Blondie and I met at Jake's, a bar that I'd had a few significantly unpleasant experiences at. But I agreed to go there in hopes of finally having a good time. I kept swiveling my head around looking for the ghosts of Barstool's past. I told her, I'm Polly, and she said, great. She sensed I was distracted and communicated her interest to me in the exact level of subtlety that I can appreciate. In the crowded bar, she undid a button on her shirt, took my hand and put it on one of her tits, which was somehow hot and cool simultaneously to the touch. I forgot how to language. She laughed and said something after that that I didn't quite hear, but I understood her pounding her beer back like a pro rodeo clown and heading out the door with a wiggle, not looking back to see if I was following. Outside, she asked how far away I lived because she was coming over. When I told her about the apartment I rented from the Dark Prince of White Teeth, she told me to follow her in my car to her place. It was a fancy condo where she lived with a family as a nanny who, as luck would have it, were out of town. And I got to thinking how this sounded like high school, trying to trade hand jobs when the parents went out for steaks at the Golden Corral. <laughs> she took my hand, pulled me into her bedroom, and she giggled as she ripped my favorite Hawaiian flowery shirt open, buttons flying and bouncing off the floor with a clatter. Then hauled my pants down to my knees, pushed me onto the bed, my underwear went half down, and then she took me in her mouth. She moaned into me and made my pancreas vibrate with her attention. <laughs> After a while, I eased her head away from me, she sat back and watched while I got my shoes and pants off properly. Then I undid her shirt, then her skirt, then her panties in no particular hurry. She shifted weight from one foot to the next, impatient. I laid her on the bed, and I took my time, kissing her lips, neck, collarbone. She wrapped her legs around me, rubbing her blonde pubic hairs against my black ones. I moved my mouth to each breast, not knowing if I was going to get another shot at him. I kissed down to her navel, then the inside of her thighs, but after only about ten seconds of going down on her, she grabbed my hair and pulled me off of her. She looked at me hard, scowling. Uh, I'm sorry, I said. Did I do the wrong thing? She vaulted off the bed, bent to the ground, and came up with my shirt. I've got to go to sleep. I'll call you. This isn't something that apparently that happens at bedposts, but uh, some ladies don't like getting going down off. I know. She got under the covers. I looked at her over my shoulder, putting my clothes on, grumbling a little about my favorite wrecked shirt. Her eyes were closed, under blankets up to her chin. Good night, I said, and she turned away when I went to kiss her cheek. I let myself out, drove home confused and horny and feeling like I'd made a serious mistake. I got lost driving home from her house. When I finally made it home, it was late. I thought about the good parts of the night, masturbating to a much better version of the evening that I'd improvised a fantasy of which included being served a cheeseburger by a roller-skating dwarf while, while I beat the highest score of Bride of Pinball, Pinball Machine we just had sex on. I just found my least sticky towel to wipe off a salty smear from my chest and stomach with when the phone rang. I answered it with slippery fingers. It was Blondie. You need to come back over, she said. What the crap, I asked. You gonna tell me what happened? I don't want to talk about it. Just come back here and fuck me, she said. It's late. I'm in bed. I look down at the gravy swamp in my belly button. Swamp balls. And it doesn't seem like you know exactly what you want. So let's talk about this another night. 
She hung up, and we didn't go out again. We wrote a few emails back and forth, and I suggested days and places to meet. And when she wrote back, she never included interest in getting together. I quit writing, and she quit writing, and that was that. Until I got mad about it. I'd done everything right, I thought, followed some extremely clear signals, and was down one favorite shirt. Then I got the brush off. The more I thought about it, the madder I got. Since it didn't seem like I'd get to tell her in person, I did something that I've never done before. I made a fuck you and goodbye mixtape. The anti-getting-to-know-me mix. It included the kinks tired of waiting for you, Frank Zappa's lonely little girl, and too drunk to fuck by the dead Kennedys. To make sure I was absolutely clear about how I felt, I made sure the Electric Six's I Don't Like You was near the top of the playlist. And I waited until I knew she would probably be downtown before calling her and telling her I had a present for her. Olympia celebrates the building of its smelly, man-made lake once every summer, the one surrounded by vicious, snarling nutria reeking of duck shit, and they set up carnival rides around it. Throw in some fireworks, and it's called Lake Fair. It's depressing, but uh, no one seems to miss it. So I gambled she'd be there, and the place I worked was only a couple of blocks from the center of it. It had been a few months since we'd seen each other, and she was surprised to hear from me when I called. I have something for you, I said. Pick it up at the shop. I was tattooing when she came in with her friends and pointed at the CD on the counter. Enjoy, I said. I didn't hear from her for six months. (laughs) When I did, she sent me an email saying she was sorry. And the thing she was sorry for was that she had lost my CD. It was playing in her car when she left Lake Fair the last night I'd seen her when a drunk man swerved over four lanes of traffic and rammed her car with his at 70 miles an hour. She'd been lucky to live, she said. Her wrists and arm and one leg were broken. One of her ribs had punctured her spleen or kidney, something important. The stereo, <laughs> the stereo with my disc in it was destroyed in the total car. Now that she was finally able to type and walk a little on crutches, she wanted to finish listening to my CD. If, if I would make her another copy. And when she was sealed up, she wanted to go for another drink and catch up. In that moment, I felt like her accident was my fault. Like, I knew it wasn't my fault that some guy got behind the wheel drunk. But what if, at the critical moment, when maybe she could have gotten out of the way, she'd been distracted asking herself, what the fuck is with this music? I turned off my computer and got a beer. I lit a cigarette off the gas stove and sat smoking and drinking in the dark. I wondered, as I still wonder sometimes, which song had she heard when her car, when the car had hit her on the highway. Was it Get Off by the Dandy Warhols? Build Me Up Buttercup. I hoped it wasn't the song by Dog Bowl, which asks, could there be a motive in the bottom of an eyelid that makes a lady want to flush me down into the toilet? I blew smoke rings at the stupid frozen moon in my winter sauna and vowed never to make another mixtape in anger. Thank you. Levi Greenacres is a Portland, Oregon tattooer and writer. He's the author of Mommy's New Tattoo, an illustrated book for children, and Tattoo Lunchbox, a monthly column that appears on TattooRoadTrip.com. Levi has worked as an associate producer and performer for The Mystery Box Show, a Portland sex-positive storytelling theater event. 
20% of his body weight is country gravy. And when he's not drawing on people or paper, he enjoys lamination, rubber duck collecting, and full contact pinball. More at levigreenacres.com. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Mia Martina of the I Want Your Sex podcast at miaontop.com, Sadie Smythe of That's What Sadie Said.com, and Julie Gillis of juliegillis.com. Podcast audio production by Ian Danskin at innuendostudios.com and sponsored by Little Shop of O's. For all your sex toy needs, head to littleshopofos.com. You can find links to all of our websites and more information about Bedpost Confessions at bedpostconfessions.com. You can also confess with us at Bedpost Confessions on Facebook and Bedpost Confess on Twitter, where we tweet audience confessions. Chime in and add yours. Until next time, we'll leave you with a few other confessions from the audience. I confess, I fantasized so much about having group sex with the five firemen I saw at the grocery store this morning. (laughs) But my panties were soaking wet by the time I was done shopping. I confess, once at a swing club, I approached the hottest girl and said, pointing at my boyfriend, he double dog dared me to eat your pussy. She said, double dog dare? (laughs) And spread her legs and shoved my head down there. (laughs) People ask me a lot about pickup lines at sex parties. Here you go. (laughs) There's one for the taking. (laughs) 